Uh, welcome to this, the latest of the podcast series, the Future Farm Resilience Fund being delivered by NIAB, working in conjunction with AKC and Savills. My name's Will Vaughan France, uh, your host, and joining me for a conversation today is my colleague Peter Craven, who has recently uh, completed a Nuffield scholarship uh, where he's been looking at the formula that makes family business success. And I'm, I'm really um, looking forward to talking about this with Peter. We, obviously, this is a really significant issue to the sort of agricultural transition that's taking place now as it has always been significant. So um, welcome Peter, do you want to just perhaps introduce a little bit about your yourself and uh, your background? Yes, hi Will, um, pleasure to be here, thank you for inviting me. Um, yes, so my background, I'm from uh, Lincolnshire, South Lincolnshire between Boston and Spalding, uh, so I grew up on a family farming business and we were specialising in vegetables, but the thing that was making the money was potatoes. So I spent uh, a lot of years in uh, in South Lincolnshire trying to grow the perfect M&S potato, if we're allowed to. Uh, <laughs> other supermarkets are available. I think we're we're allowed to mention uh, we're allowed to mention high end retailers. That's okay. And then I went on a course, a worshipful company of farmers course in 2018, and really I say that woke me up from a deep sleep. Um, I think I'd been busy slumbering along and uh, I thought we were doing a pretty good job. But uh, when I got in that environment with uh, a very good peer group around me, I realised that uh, maybe we weren't quite as good or I wasn't quite as good as I thought. And I came out of that course with a sort of a refreshed passion for learning. And uh, first time around, I'd been at Y College uh, many moons ago and studied agribusiness management and I enjoyed my time there shall we say but I'd had this sort of renewed passion for learning and I came out of that thinking I've got to do more what can I do how can I get involved and one of the things that I was lucky enough to uh, to get involved with was the Nuffield. And so here we are now you've done a Nuffield scholarship which um, has involved quite a bit of travel. I think you overlapped with COVID as well, didn't you? So which makes this more challenging? So here we go. I'll make you smile now. So you have to sign a contract when you take uh, a Nuffield scholarship and you are duty bound to attend the CSC, the Combined Scholars Conference. I think the year just gone, it was in Norfolk in UK. But the year I did it, uh, I had to duty bound. Here we go. Had to be on an island called Tangaluma Island between the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast. So I had to be there. And on You're day making one of this that... sound onerous. <laughs> so, yes, terrible, terrible situation to have to deal with. Um, but day one of the conference, I sat next to a lady that was uh, from Australia and we'd all flown in from, uh, I think it was 17 different countries. It was March the 20th and COVID was really kicking off. And it really ramped up in the week or two before. And um, I'd been over in New Zealand. Um, it hadn't affected my, my meetings. Only one meeting got cancelled because of COVID. But uh, the lady next to me, she said, she said, I don't feel very well. And uh, she said, uh, more worrying, she said, uh, two of my friends don't feel very well either. And... Uh, she said, if I tell anyone, I wonder if they'll lock us in our rooms because we were just the ones on this island. 
And then I suddenly thought, my God, it's going. It feels like Lord of the Flies here. We're going to end up on a <laughs> on an island in the other side of the world, and we're all going to be locked in. So I said, "Will you excuse me?" And I went to reception. And I said, can you get me the next boat off this island, please, as quickly as yes. possible? And uh, this was day one of the conference. And uh, she, the lady said, well, you've just missed it. It went two minutes ago. And I looked over my shoulder and two of our gang, they had worked it out and they got on that boat. Anyway, I got on the next one, which was 4 p.m. And that was on the Monday. I had no flight home and uh, rang my wife up on the boat over to the mainland, said, can you help me? It was two o'clock in the morning. Goodness, I didn't realise. And uh, skyscanner.net, here we go, dropping uh, another plug. Yeah, very They'll useful, get, very useful. Incredibly useful at 2 a.m. UK time to find me a, a flight home. That was on the Monday, flew home via Dubai, and all flights across the world stopped on the Friday. So you, skin you of your were teeth in danger stuff. of being trapped for some months on a island near the Sunshine Coast, which I I, I imagine is much worse than it sounds. Um, so uh, so you had a little bit of a, a an interesting start. You've just completed. And I think last week you had the Nuffield conference and presented the report. And and you've it, it, I've having read the report, I thought it's very interesting how you pick up on what makes looking at what makes family businesses successful and I want to explore a few of the things that that came from there and I think one of the things that's always a bit of a chat it perhaps creates an image is this idea of a family business so in, in my mind I get this sort of image of probably some sort of mixed farming family business in Devon with that looks rather bucolically beautiful and uh, uh, everyone in the family is is, is uh, working together and it's about more the practically but actually that's a totally bizarre you know basis to have so so what what do we mean by family business and and what do they what does it encompass you know what makes a family business a family business well uh, certainly in farming um 97 of all uk farming businesses are family businesses i haven't answered your question there what is a family business um but it's predominantly answer the question I didn't ask, which is what is not a family business? I'm <laughs> narrowing it down. Here we go. Well, it's predominantly one that's owned or controlled by a single family. It's normally involving two or more family members uh, in its operations or management. And normally that's something that would be passed down through the generations. So it's, it's sort of multi-generational. And that in itself is, is uh, a problem um, if you like, it's a nice problem to have. But in the uh, in the olden days, when the grandpa got to 60 or 65, his hips would be shot and uh, he'd be sat in the chair. Or he'd be retired. Well, now they're uh, they're getting new hips. They're doing they're running marathons at 90 and uh, they're very much wanting to play a, an active role in the business because uh, that's who they are. They've put blood, mm. sweat and tears into these businesses. And and why shouldn't they? So then it becomes, uh, and there's this lovely picture where the word me in front of a mirror, and looking back, it says the word we, and it's and it's sort of me to we um, sort of mentality. So it's not it's not about how do how do I make a single decision? It's how do we make decisions together as a family? And I guess that was really something that I was finding hard in our own family business. Um, and it was something that I wanted to understand. How do the best families in business get along? Because let's face it, um, just getting along with family 
uh, is hard, but working with family as well, uh, it's really hard stuff this is. So uh, so how do those best families do it? Uh, is there a secret? Um, and so that's really what I was out to look for. So it's, it's an interesting concept, isn't it? There's a lot of the family farming businesses because you've got a work life which overlaps with a family life, which is also taking place at the place you would call home. And so there's quite a lot at stake, isn't there? Because if if one is tricky, it, it overlaps into the others. But how do do those businesses that have been reset, do they have a way of separating those different parts of life? How do they manage that sort of relationship that they, they have between people as professional peers and people as family members and this idea of the home and the workplace being the same and perhaps a lot of people who non-farming would now understand this a little bit from having to work from home quite a lot over the last four years yeah i mean it's uh, uh it's you you talk about love and and emotion as well will these these things uh they're powerful um and you sort of put money into the mix as well and they say love and, and money are a powerful mix and and how do you manage that so you've got to have some structures you've got to have a, some uh, you can call it governance and uh, whether that's family governance business governance but it's really having a plan uh, and having some clear roles and responsibilities and and just drawing some lines between the stuff because it can so easily get blurred and it's tough. It's it's really tough when your uh, your employer is 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 your father, your mother. Um, that it's a weird it's, it's I mean, weird I, and special at the same time. In my own farming business, I have one that's I think is possibly even more weird than that because I'm actually employer of my father, <laughs> um, which that creates a whole nother dynamic that's 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 quite interesting. And, um, it actually works quite well but it's sort of a, a bit of a strange one um he wants me to buy the tractor i don't because i have to pay for it you know it's that's the reverse um you you talk quite a lot in the report about something that i i quite an interesting approach which was the family charter and and it made me think a little bit about partnership agreements and things like that which i've seen in 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 the past that that probably actually often deal with how people interact in a business, but don't deal with how people interact outside of the business as, as well. So perhaps what makes up a family charter and, and, and what makes it an effective document and structure to operate with? Yeah, this uh, this family charter, I'd never I'd never heard of it uh, before. And I first came across it in New Zealand and uh, a chap there, uh, he was explaining they'd um, borrowed a lot of money from the bank and the, the bank manager had insisted um, that they had great systems in place and that they were, uh, their financial systems were second to none. Um, but the banks were, they were lending up to 65% of the value of the assets. So they were really up to their armpits in these businesses, um, lending them money. Um, but they weren't worried at all about the, the business. The businesses were great. Um, the the, the bank managers, they were worried about the family and if Jim and Bob can't get on together. And it was kind of explained to me that it was almost a way of the the family protecting itself from themselves, if that makes sense, and finding ways that they can um, work together. So so really, and, and, and what I hadn't realised was this, that everybody's got a family charter. 
um, it was explained to me, everybody's got a family charter. And I said, well, no, I've never even heard of it. Um, and he's going, no, 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 you will have got some ideas, but you, it might not be in your head. And what this was, was a written document. So it brought uh, the family together to produce a written document. So it wasn't just in one person's head what was going to happen and what they thought should happen. It was talked about and discussed openly. And uh, there was transparency between family members as to what was going on, not just now, but also in the future. And yep. so it was it was really, uh, yes, there could be there could be a plan. Um, dad, uncle, father, grandpa, they could all have an idea, but they might all be different. And uh, hang on a minute. Are we going in the same direction here? So you have to um talk about this stuff and and agree uh otherwise i mean there's a, a chap told me uh, he said a a family farm they all jumped in the car to go on holiday one had got skis one had got his speedos on one had got uh, uh tickets to a to a concert and the first one drove through the night in one direction then the next one took over he drove in another direction and and uh, in the morning they got nowhere and so you've got to agree it's a, it's a great, where you're going. Uh, it, it's it's a great description of sort of a, a, a of a relatable way of, of of describing, and even actually down to when they are going to the same place. Of course, the routes that people might take, and I think it was just something you mentioned in your Duffield talk was, or in the report. You know, I think it was in the report that if you're all having dinner at the same restaurant in the city of London and you all went there from this broadly the same location, you'd all take a different, potentially take a different route to get there. Some might be only slightly different, some might be very different. And and that can cause fundamental disagreement, kind of if the route is different, um, even where you get the same end point, you know. There's a, I think uh, there's a hierarchical thing as well, Will. So grandpa or father, and there's sort of you in the pecking order, you're as a child, you do as you're told and well not always you, well not always <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you can get away with it um but uh, it's understanding that and and how does that work so i mean it was explained to me that if you come to a meeting with two solutions so everybody around the, the table so we're going to talk about a problem uh or want everybody to come to the meeting and talk about the problem we've got to work it out well, what, are we, what are we going to do but everybody has to come with two solutions. And so straight away, grandpa, grandma, whatever, whoever's there, um, business partners, brothers, you're not uh, straight away. You, the mindset is different. Um, there's not one solution here. Even even uh, even that person who may may have the dominant may be the dominant person they've got two solutions there's two different ideas there's, i here. suppose there's it's quite a neat way of re reducing the emotional connection to one idea and and this sense then that you've either won or lost um uh that, that there's because the, your your own loyalty is no longer to one single idea when you go into a meeting it, it's quite an, it sounds to me like quite a neat trick actually I mean, to manage your own expectations as an individual it, less so about even perhaps managing other people's in the room yeah yeah it's just it's just just another trick of of understanding um how you can bring each other closer together and not keep butting heads really that's the that's the bit that's the problem so what what about the role of 
of, of external people um, with within this as 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 well. Um, I mean, I guess it's maybe a bit easier as businesses get bigger because you've got more scope for bringing people. But it could be employees internally. So you know, do some businesses perhaps have like a sort of a business CEO who is not a family member or a chairman of a board that that isn't a family member or a finance manager isn't or in a, a smaller case a smaller businesses that can't just you know have an internal employee might be the bank manager or it might be another professional advisor who who sits there to do those do, do, do the businesses that work better have that or is it not part is it a part of the formula in some and not others and how might they actually introduce it and manage it if it is relevant do you mean a, a referee will? <laughs> well, <laughs> do I they have a whistle? Um, uh, they, well, I know they, exactly. I, mean, what I mean. don't know. Do they need a whistle? Like, <laughs> I, I suppose um, uh, a, a referee or a, a sort of arbiter um, yeah. to, uh, or perhaps a, <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm, so just, then, I'm, I'm trying to work out whether we're thinking of a football field or a boxing ring. At the yeah, moment. yeah. Here we go. Somewhere in between. I mean, you're absolutely right. I'm going to answer the question in two totally different ways. So, yes, um, it, in some instances, it's absolutely crucial that there is somebody in that room that can take some of the emotion out of the situation and that can help bring some logical, sensible reasoning and argument and uh, and sort of just keep things on an even keel. So, yes, there are certain scenarios where that is absolutely true. Um, but I've got a couple of uh, uh, good friends in Lincolnshire and they, they run one of the biggest uh, vegetable packing businesses in the country and they haven't got any of that. Uh, they get they they so just because um, it works for one doesn't mean to say it's going to work for another. And and one thing I I quickly found um, and and I wrote it probably at the start of my report was when you've seen one family business, you, you've seen one family business. That's all. They're all absolutely different, and they all have different characters. They've all come from different starting places, and to say there is one way of dealing with this is is wrong and mm. so it's more complicated it's more nuanced and what works for some will not work for others it's more it's quite nuanced as to what works for one business or yeah. another but that's quite a nice thing isn't it because it means that nothing is wrong if it works for you it's not your business and your family it's not wrong it's not there isn't one way of doing it is there uh, there, there isn't one way to do it, and it's probably nice that there isn't, but it makes it more difficult because you can't just follow a process. You can't just read a book. There's not a formula. Um, there's, so is there a formula? There's a structure, and I've written some I mean, of the structure. I mean, that's a bit to say that. Your title is The Formula Foundation, and I've just yeah, said, you know, okay. there's not a formula. I'm sort of proposing that idea. That, that, that well, here we go. Cheap. I'm going to challenge you because there there is um, a solution, and farmers yeah. spend all day, every day, wanting solutions. That's what their specialism is, uh, solutions finders. And I'm certain that this uh, family charter is a a brilliant solution to bringing uh, families together and to having some of these conversations. And yes, they might be awkward. Yes, they're difficult. Yes, they're hard. Uh, actually, what do we want? Do we want to do this? Do I want to do something else? Um, so I was talking to somebody the other day. There was two two sons, two daughters in a farming business. 
and they sat down they actually asked them what they wanted to do well, they ended up the two boys didn't want to farm and the two daughters did and that's what's happening today the daughters are farming it and it's funny what happens when you ask somebody what they want um and uh yeah why we're doing any of this it's the danger of assumptions isn't it and and classically can happen in in any situation in lots of different parts of life but i guess one of the things that's then sort of interesting from that is how people find purpose within a business and and if you look at really strong businesses whether they're family ones or not it's often really clear what they do and why they do it and they know why they're there and how important is that sort of why to a family farming business and perhaps farming businesses in general i wonder whether this is often we understand this there was a guy i met um a guy called hort schultz and uh, he was the president of the ritz carlton incredible guy and he he's work, he sits on a lot of boards and he said that most people in the world they've got no idea where they're going he, and he said 90 95% of businesses this is a lot they've got no idea where they're going they understand what they do um their mission but they don't understand where they're going and he said this is really important so we have to understand our why and so this is one of the places that, that the family charter starts with is why are we doing any of this? Why are we getting out of bed? Why are we changing that irrigator on a Sunday evening at 10 o'clock? Why are we missing our children's recorder recital? I don't know whether that you might want to miss that. I don't know. I, I think you may want to miss that one. I was thinking it might be something like, you know, that it's a bit like the sort of the, probably the parents race in the sports day. It's sort of very missable. But maybe you don't want to miss out on the uh, the 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 football game, the hockey game, the or the parents' evening, depending on how it's going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and so, I've asked a lot of people why are they doing all of this, and they come back and they tell me all these different things, and uh, from passion, uh, they've said, well, financial success or flexibility, and um, their enjoyment, um, independence, and this this emotional connection to the land. But you ask them again and and again and. And some people are really flummoxed that they've never actually thought about why they're doing this. Uh, they're the good ones that are coming back. Most of the time, they're struggling to think why they're doing it. And, and I've had lots of people come back the next day on the phone or in an email a month later and said, uh, we want to be happy. We want to get along and we want to do well. That's what, what our why is. And really, that's that's the sort of our guiding family vision, stick it at the top of the page. And when the next time we're thinking about having uh, an argument over something, hang on a minute, why are we doing this? Hang on, we want to be happy. We want to get along. We want to do well. This is a really good guiding light for uh, um, and vision for the family uh, in business. I think it probably, in many cases, it might also be good for aspects of it for families, even not in business together, actually, just as, as households, even. What are we trying to do? Where are we trying to get to? What do we want to achieve for ourselves, for our kids? And if you've got something that you know why you're doing it, then you've got something that can motivate you. Whereas if you're going into a tough time thinking, I don't really know why I'm doing this. I mean, it, it's going to be quite hard to find the energy to get through. And And I think that's probably something that's a challenge for a lot of businesses through this agricultural transition is trying to work out what to be why are we here why are we, what are we trying to achieve for ourselves and and then it becomes very draining as as, as a result 
One of the things that's interesting specific to a family business, I think is a bit more unique to family business as opposed to non-family businesses, is that people come into the business because they are family and not necessarily in the structure you know, ordinary there's a recruitment process there's a published job role as you know you're interviewed against it um there's a number of candidates going for the role but you have people who come into the business because they're part of the family and how do the businesses with, that have this sort of formula for success manage that process of sort of let's say recruiting the family member into the business putting them into a place where they have the right skills or training those people to be able to to fulfill a role within the business that's rewarding for all of the all of the parties rather than just placing it well you you're sort of you know, you're in the family so you can go and plow that field which um and it turns out they hate machinery and they hate plowing and they actually just want to do stuff something different in a business and their skills are they might be amazing at trading grain or selling it but you know and we're not using the right source. so how do they deal with that in in, in these businesses I mean, that recruitment thing is something that uh, a lot of families uh, spend a lot of time talking about i'm just going to skip back one second i'm still not forgetting that question will but you talked about the farming resilience fund and it was really um something that set me on my journey in the first place was um, I met this guy called uh, Sean Rickard, and he said this great number of uh, and and okay, he used he said sixty thousand UK farmers are going out of business in the next seven years. Well, he's quite a controversial character um, if you've ever met him. Uh, but I just joked. I mean, what if he's half right? Um, there, it's and, a lot and of this, people still. It, there's a it's lot, lot of, of lives people, changed. Yeah, there's a lot of change coming. And this loss of subsidy that, that we know, OK, we're at half levels at the moment. But there's a lot of people very dependent on that. And so what's that going to look like in 2028 when, when it's not there? But then you add on top of that, you add on this sort of extreme weather that we're having. I mean, mm. we've got, uh, I put up, I did, I was talking to Millennium Farmers last night at the George at Stamford. We had a lovely meal, thank you. Um, and uh, That's another looking... little commercial, pl- uh, it's not sponsored <laughs> by the George at Stamford, just the avoidance of doubts, uh, uh, but it is a fine place. <laughs> I was going to say other other nice hotels in Stamford, but, but they're probably not any as nice. Um, but uh, I started with the weather and the weather we've had this year they haven't been seen in a generation or the generation before. I mean, we had the hottest June ever. I mean, the, so the extreme weather we've got is incredible as an extra level of stress on top of the mm. subsidy. We've got labour shortages that we we're struggling with. We've got rising input costs. We've got Tremendous. volatile markets. And so we've got... I mean, Volatile is understating the, the 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 way markets have have moved. The geopolitical drivers that are completely outside of the control of a domestic market, a domestic government, let alone our own businesses. It's extraordinary setting, isn't it? That is uh, incredible. I just the pressure on these farming families 
And that's let alone how do we get on together? Well, just the day to day stuff that they're having to deal with. It's incredible. Uh, back to recruitment, because I'm sorry, I, you asked me a question of recruitment. Yes, they do spend a lot of time talking about this. So who do we want in these businesses? The, the generations coming up, do we just let anyone come in? And so these businesses are really talking about this because they want to be fair. And the family charter is really thinking of what are we going to fall out about? Okay, you and me, Will, we're brothers. What are we going to fall out about? So how do we work out how the next generation come in? And mm. so they would say, okay, we're not brothers, by the way. <laughs> yeah, for the first step, we're not brothers. But we could, we could pretend for this moment, you know, we could say you've got successes because you've got kids. I don't have kids. You know, that could be, that sort of thing could be an example of it. Exactly. But but how do we, and do we let anyone join? And how do we do it? So so they would say, well, um, and I, I one, far, one farming business I met, they'd spent ages discussing this and agreeing on it. And they had agreed that they had to have a college education. So they weren't just going to let anyone join. They had to go and study and learn about agriculture and get a degree. But they also said they have to go out the farm for two years and work out in the big wide world and, and stand up on their own two feet and and so when they join the business, they've got some self-worth themselves, um, mm. but also they're accepted into the business better. They're not just uh, they're not just here because they happen to be the sons of uh, of of the owner. Um, they're actually that they've been out in the world. So they agreed they'd have a college education and they would have to have two years of paid full-time employment before they're allowed in that business. And I thought it's just a great way to set uh, a standard, um, a high level standard. It might not be right for every family, but for that family, this is four cousins working together. Um, for that family, they had decided, and this is all very personal to mm -hmm. another family will be totally different, but that's how they had decided. And that was something that was for them a problem or could have been a problem. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's a form of tra it's a training, isn't it? And then you're bringing skills into the business with those those people coming back. So how do those do those businesses have a those most successful sort of family business have a way of also dealing with personal development as well? Because in our professional roles, you're constantly involved in pr professional development, constantly being trained in new things and try and lift your skills. You did a worshipful company of farmers management course. Um, in 2018. I did the leadership course earlier this year. How important is that in these really successful family businesses? So one of the things that I have I saw in all of these family businesses that were engaged with these family charters, um, they all had continuous learning. Um, so it was something that was in their DNA and and staying current and informed. Um, keeping up to date with technology and sustainability developments. Uh, they were investing in training for themselves, but also their people. Um, and they held that in high regard. So um, all about improving skills and knowledge base. Uh, and in the in the words of Jim Collins, sharpening the saw. That's what he calls it. <laughs> Sharpening the saw. That that sounds a, a, a tad dangerous as uh, <laughs> as 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 well. Um, I, I you probably wouldn't want any family conflict with the sharp saws. But anyway, that's sort another. Um, that's a bit. I, but you I think can't that, go to work well with a blunt saw. So you have to have a sharp saw so that you keep use yourself 
sharp and uh, and you can able to do the job well. So uh, um, so no, absolutely, you need to need to have a a mindset of continuous learning. It's interesting because I'm then wondering in the business in the sort of non-family businesses or the non-family managed businesses because like lots of businesses are owned by families still but actually they're, they're managed by another by by employees perhaps and um appointed roles but as to whether the, the 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 things that define really strong successful businesses in a family setting or non-family setting are actually quite similar things in a in a business sense but what differs is that in the family businesses they recognize the role of family in the decision making and their governance structure embraces the fact that the family are there but the things they're doing their personal development they're fitting people's skills to roles the um having a purpose to the business a child are all things that actually any business to be successful needs surely they're, they're they're nearly mirror images. Um, so, uh, in fact, uh, Hortz Schultz it wasn't a it wasn't a family business per se, but it, it, he said no, it's it's all it's all the same stuff. And it and it basically you have to understand you have to be really good at your numbers, a number ninja. Uh, you have to you have to look after your people. Um, so Horse he told me about this study in America, and he said. Uh, they've done this big study on what motivates people. And this is why I was interested. I went to the Ritz-Carlton. They've got people cleaning toilets and uh, making beds. And and you'd say pretty, um, not low skilled, but mundane. Some of the stuff there. Um, yeah. And, and so, OK, we're doing similar stuff. And we're not cleaning toilets in agriculture, but we're doing some mundane stuff, repetitive stuff at times. Mm. And uh, how do you motivate these people? And he he told me about this uh, uh, this big research project that happened in America, and uh, number number seven on the list was was money, um, and we think we're just going to pay uh, pay somebody another pound an hour and they'll be happy, um, but it's not true. Um, it, number one on the list was a sense of belonging, and number two on the list was empowerment. And he said these are the things that we should be looking at, we should be focusing on with what we're doing and so i know when i uh, i tried to do some of this so i set up a farm logo and we got branded clothing and i i sort of tried to bring people together get sort of a theme of excellence going and people looking after things and and, and regular meetings better communication um all sorts of things uh, to to try and help in this sort of sense of belonging and um, but then this empowerment thing and and i saw that at James Timpson, he's got this crazy structure where it's totally upside down uh, management structure. And uh, basically the, the lead doesn't stop, sit at the top, he sits at the bottom and he empowers everybody in front of him to basically just get on and do a good job. Um, so there's a lot of trust and really it's trust. Um, trust is the thing that you're trying to create um, in, in these uh, family businesses and trust is at the heart of it. I think that's a brilliant point at which probably to stop. I've got three words sitting in my mind there, uh, trust, belonging uh, and, and purpose to some of the to these businesses that that um, that are quite, you, you know, not unique in, in any sense to any other to successful businesses in general, but strongly related to the 
personal relationships that people have it, and and how those relate to professional relationships as well. Peter, I've thoroughly enjoyed doing this. Um, there are more questions I could ask, but I'm I'm conscious we 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 we've recorded I think for we're, we're 30 35 minutes now and uh, uh, we normally go for we normally go for short ones, but I didn't want to cut this one off because this was uh, earlier. Because this this is this is brilliant. So I've really enjoyed it. I've I've learned a lot from reading your your report. I would really would encourage anybody else to um, listening to go and look up Peter's report, um, which you can Google and find via the Nuffield website. Um, and uh, and and I'm sure you will find it interesting and enjoyable to to read, Peter. Thank you very, very much. No, thank you. Well, thoroughly enjoyed it.